Good night. It's good to be with you. It's kind of an intimate crowd. I like it. Last night I was at, I went to dinner at American Flatbread with some of our neighbors. Um, our neighbors, Devin and Becca, they've got two kids. One, a son named Henry, who's in first grade with Willa. And uh, as I was eating dinner with, I was sitting across from Devin, and he was telling me, he's like, yeah, Henry is really starting to ask some serious questions. It's like just two nights ago, Henry asked me, he said, Dad, is anything permanent? Like, he looked at his son and said, no, uh, nothing's permanent. Henry got quiet and sat there. He said, Sharpies are. And love. <laughs> Sharpies are and love. We just heard a psalm that was also, uh, it's all about the steadfast, the permanent love of God. And it joyously celebrates it. And before we think about it uh, in a little bit more depth, um, I want us to pray. Father, thank you that your love is permanent, that it endures uh, forever. And uh, I pray that as we turn our attention to this psalm, Psalm 136, and we can consider what it means to connect with, with you and our joy, our love, and our thanks, that you would give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, and a heart that's willing to receive and believe everything it is you want to impress upon us, uh, ride upon us tonight. Uh, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We all, I'm, a, I'm a music fan. I love music, but I'm not much of a musician. Uh, I took uh, piano lessons as a kid. My, mom, my mom signed me up for lessons, but I hated going to practice, and it shows. <laughs> that said, I can dabble, right? I can read some sheet music, and I know what sort of notes correspond with what keys on the keyboard. If you've ever seen a piano, and I'm sure you probably have, you know, there's quite a few keys. There's a bunch of white keys, I think 52 to be exact, that are called natural keys. And then you have 36 black keys, at least on a standard piano, this is true, right? Black keys that are called sharps or flats. And learning to play the piano, I, probably you, typically started off by learning to play the white sort of natural keys. They're bigger, they're wider, they're easier to play. But as you mature in your piano playing, you awaken to the reality of the black keys and you learn how to play those too. And you begin to appreciate the sounds that they make. And they're beautiful. The music that each key, uh, that each key on the keyboard uh, makes is integral to a composition. One key right, is not better than another. They're all good and they're all important to the musical work of art. I mention all this because I want you to think of our emotions that way. Emotions as the keys on a keyboard. Some keys are easy to play. They come naturally to you. But then there are others that are sharps or flats. And I want you to think of prayer as the music that is made when we play these notes before God. When we play our emotions before God. We pray, we play and we pray. I think it's not a coincidence that the many prayers we find in the Psalter were put to music, that, that we have this prayer book, uh, prayer book that is also sort of a song book, smack dab in the middle of the Bible. And learning how to pray and learning how to put down roots to connect with God where we're at, we, near, we need to learn how to play all of the keys. 
not just C major, sort of the C, D, E, F, G, A, B, right? Not just those natural ones, but we need to learn how to incorporate the sharps and the flats of our lives too. How to pray in G or pray in D minor, as it were. And that's what we've been learning all semester long. We started with those black keys, in a sense, life and a minor key, um, fear and anger, sadness, guilt, and shame. Our starting with these uh, was intentional. I I wanted you to see right away that every one of these notes, every one of these emotions is an open door and an opportunity for us to connect with God. That you and I, we don't have to wait until we feel joy or love or thanks before we can connect with God. That we can connect with God right where we are. Maybe in the midst of our fear, in the midst of our anger or sadness or shame. That God is always there. He's ready to meet you where you're at. Every key, every note, every day is an opportunity for us to connect with him. But as we've worked our way around the feelings wheel, which we still have some there on the table. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's there for you. As we work our way around the feelings wheel, we we now come full circle. And I want you to see that, yes, of course, right, we can and we must connect with God in our love and joy and thanks too. What does it mean, look like, sound like for us to connect with God and our joy? That's the... The, the theme of tonight's message. Joy is a, it's a feeling of great delight or happiness. I think of it like middle C on the keyboard. It's this clean, crisp note, this bright satisfaction. Right? On a feelings wheel, uh, joy gets broken up into tinier slices. Uh, contentment, happiness, cheer, peace, playfulness, amusement. For me, joy sounds like yes. It's yes to this person, place, or thing. Yes, this is good, it's beautiful, and it's true. Sometimes it reverberates and it's soft like a whisper, and other times it comes out like a shout. But joy really is this note that needs to come out of us. It's similar to anger in this way. When we talked about anger, we talked about anger as this energy like lava that kind of ooze out slowly like Mount Kilauea, or it can sort of explode out like Mount St. Helens. And joy has this dimension to it. It is something that just needs to come out of us. But instead of hot lava, I want you to think of it like a, like a water fountain. Sometimes joy sort of bubbles out of us like a gurgle. You know, I think of my, my mom's water fountain she has in her, in her garden. And sometimes joy just gushes out like the fountain in front of the Bellagio with all the lights. You know, it's like just exuberance, just waving arms in the air. And sometimes it's something in between. But no matter how you slice it, joy is this deep yes that comes out of us. And when it does, the sound of joy sounds like praise. This is so good. I love this. Or... It sounds like thanks. You know, whenever we enjoy something, there's something in us uh, that uh, compels us to want to share that thing we've enjoyed with another person. Maybe it's a movie you just saw or a book you just read or 
this restaurant that you just ate at. When you enjoy it, there's something in you that you want other people to enjoy it too. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing. C.S. Lewis, who I quote often, says, I think we delight to praise uh, what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. He continues, it's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It's frustrating, he says, to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is. Or to come suddenly at the turn of a road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur. Or to hear a good joke, right, and not have someone to share it with. Right? There is something about joy that, that we long for to, to, to share it with another person. And in the sharing of that joy with another person, we, we find even greater sort of satisfaction. It completes the joy. That's what Lewis is saying. Joy longs for expression. You got to try this out. You got to read this. You got to watch this. You got to meet him. You got to meet her. <laughs> praise completes our joy. But if joy sounds a lot like praise, it also sounds a lot like thanks. Brene Brown, who's sort of like the counselor for our culture, right? She's done extensive research on things like guilt and shame, but also things like joy and gratitude. And what she has found time and again is that people who are most joyful are also most grateful. But the correlation is maybe not what you would think it would be. So often we think, oh, if somebody's joyful, they're automatically going to be grateful. But she has found it's the opposite. It's actually gratitude that brings us joy. It's not joy that makes us grateful, she says. It's gratitude that makes us joyful. It's not joy that makes us grateful. It's gratitude that makes us joyful. And she has found this out. The research bears this out. What she's saying is that if you practice gratitude, you will become a more and more joyful person. And the key word for her is practice. It's not that you would simply have a gratitude attitude. Do you have right, a practice of giving thanks, maybe having a journal, writing five things that you're grateful for at the end of the day, or sitting around the, the dinner table with your family or your friends and asking them, what is something that you're grateful for today? She's found, right, these practices actually of giving thanks make us into joyful people. Um, when we're grateful, we experience more and a deeper abiding joy, and when we are experiencing joy, we've come more grateful, and sort of this sort of dynamic sort of feeds itself. It's an interesting thing. Joy longs for expression. Joy kind of has this connection to thanks. But gratitude doesn't just promote joy. It also deepens our love. It deepens our feelings of intimacy and connection with another person. I think we all get this at an intuitive level. If I do something nice for you and you say thanks... I'm inclined to do that thing for you again. And this cycle of love and joy and intimacy, it increases sort of in this upward spiral. But if I do something nice for you and you say nothing at all, you ignore it, you just stay mute, some love is lost in the relationship. Right? A failure to notice or a failure to appreciate, it can be hurtful. And we can wind up on the other end of the feelings wheel, maybe feeling angry or sad or even depressed. 
right? Our expression of joy and our expression of gratitude can increase feelings of love and intimacy. Before we take a deeper look at Psalm 136, I wanted to draw out these connections and and to, to, to state these before we look at it. Because having said it, I think you're going to see all of these things jump off the page now when we look at Psalm 136. Right? Joy longs for expression. It longs to come out to be shared with others. The sharing of joy completes or consummates it. Right? Joy sounds a lot like thanks, and giving thanks can give rise to more joy. And as we do these things, we increase in our feelings for love. We're going to look now at Psalm 136, which in Jewish tradition is called the Great Hallel, or the Great Psalm of Praise. On the feelings wheel, I think it is this giant slice of pie, right? Sort of filled with joy, topped with love and thanks, right? Ready to, for us to enjoy uh, on this Thanksgiving Eve of sorts. Psalm 136 begins this way. Give thanks to the Lord, right? Because he is so good, right? For he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Right in verse 1, we have sort of everything that we've discussed so far. All the ingredients are there. Right in the very first verse, we've got... You got to see this thing. It's so good, right? Give thanks with me. His love endures forever. Psalm 1 is, uh, uh, or verse 1, in some ways, is the psalmist grabbing us by the arm in excitement and saying, You've got to see this. And who or what we've got to see, first of all, is God Himself. Right? And the psalm that follows, we're going to be given lots of reasons why we should give thanks for God and enjoy Him. But for the first three verses, it's just God. We're not told anything that God does. We're just looking at him. Our eyes and our hearts are simply trained on him. As one commentator pointed out, the opening stanza of this prayer, of this song, it uses three great names by which the creator and savior of the world is known. He's called by his personal name in verse 1, right? Yahweh. In verse 2, Elohim, a name that speaks to his might. And then in verse 3, Adonai, the Lord of lords, right? Speaks to his lordship. But in three verses, we were told to give thanks three times. And for what? It's just this, for who God is. We're told to give thanks, to give praise for his person, right? His heart, his character. Yahweh, the God of gods and the Lord of lords, who is so good. He is so loving. His steadfast love, it endures forever. It is permanent. It's not going anywhere. Now, in the music industry, which I'm an expert in, right, as you know by now, right, sampling is when we take a piece of one song and we work it into another. And this phrase, his steadfast love endures forever, is a sample. It's it's a... It's a song where it's a, like a lyric, right? A beat that has been pulled from one part of the scriptures and has been reworked, remixed into this prayer 26 times. It's almost like a drum beat, you know, Val on the cajon, right? No? All right. Similar, <laughs> right? It, uh, a bass line that we are hearing throughout this song, but it comes from uh, Exodus 34, uh, a passage of scripture where Moses says to God, I want to see your face. And God says, no, if I show you my face, it would kill you, right? It would blow your mind. 
But I'll show you the back of my head and I'm going to proclaim my name to you. I'll, I will reveal myself to you. And this is where we read in Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God who's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It is a very famous uh, piece of scripture. It is quoted maybe more than any other in the Old Testament and New. And we find it here quoted a lot. Psalm 136. His steadfast love endures forever. We are rejoicing in who God is. Before we get to his works, we're just, we're delighting in him. 26 times too. In the world of Charles Spurgeon, God is good beyond all others. He alone is good in the highest sense. He's the source of good, the good of all good, the sustainer of good, the perfecter of good, the rewarder of good. And for all of this, he deserves the constant gratitude of his people. He's just so good. I don't know if you've ever just been in the company of someone and you're just delighting in them for just who they are. That's one of the ways that we connect with God on our joy. Just when we feel just overcome, some, maybe you're just overcome or just made fully aware of just who he is and all of his goodness and you just, were, just want to say thanks. My wife Megan and I, we've been married uh, 11 years now. We were married on uh, August 28th. 2010. And early in our marriage, typically maybe on an anniversary dinner, Megan would ask, why do you love me? And um, I always found that to be a kind of a tricky question to answer. Why do you love me? I mean, there's certainly things that I love about Megan. I love her spirit of adventure. I love her playfulness. I love her kindness. And I'm appreciative of the many things that she does for me and for our family. But for me to point to one thing and to say, this is why I love you, seems false. Because it's not just for this one reason that I love her. It's not even for any number of those things. It's sort of like more than the sum of these parts. Ultimately, I love Megan because she's Megan. And that is kind of what we have here in Psalm 136. At the outset, it's a joyful celebration for who God is. Right? We love Him because we love Him, because of who He is. Not for any one particular thing, but just for who He is. You know, when the disciples asked Jesus to pray, and He said, Pray like this Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is what He's getting at. Hallowing God's name means simply taking time to enjoy God's name, to enjoy who he is, that he's good, and that his steadfast love endures forever. If somehow connecting with God maybe begins here, it doesn't end there. We then move on, and and the psalmist sort of takes us on a grand tour of other reasons why we can enjoy God and to give thanks and to connect with him in our enjoyment and love and praise. Starting in verse 4, he grabs us by the arm and he takes us out of God's presence and he takes us sort of outside. Our grand tour of God's work and wonders begins with a walk outside. He, he grabs me by the hand, as it were, and he ushers me out of the living room and out the front door. And he walks me and he maybe walks you around my block where we pick raspberries at the top of Wilson Street and then ushers us 
onto campus and into Centennial Woods, to the bottom of Moss Glen Falls and to the top of Mount Mansfield and by the shores of Lake Champlain. And in all of this, as we walk through creation, as we walk through these verses, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine, the psalmist is directing our gaze to see just how awesome God is for the things that he's made. Look up uh, at the day and night sky, John. Look up at the day and night sky, right, Max and Kira, right, Val. Feel the ground beneath your feet. Look at the beauty and order and color that surrounds you. You know, some people, when they watch the sunset behind the Adirondacks, right, here at Lake Champlain, or they see the mountains covered in color, right, this time of year, they see nothing but cold facts. This is just what happens this time of year. This is just what happens when the earth spins and revolves around the sun. But then there are others who don't just see colors. They see an artist at work. They don't just see seasons. They see a mind behind them, right, who's orchestrated time. And all of it, all of creation is an opportunity and an occasion to rejoice and to give thanks to the one who made it all. We have good sunsets here in Burlington, Vermont. Jenna Ranson tells me that there are good sunsets in Oklahoma as well. I saw some of the best sunsets of my life in Bangladesh, of all places. The national flag, if you know it or not, is a green flag with this red circle right in the center. And that is what sunsets look like in the north of Bangladesh. It is a, these green rice paddies with this red orb that just sort of seems to sink right into the midst of them. And one night, as I watched the sunset amongst these rice fields, a Bangladeshi friend of mine whispered this word to himself. He said, Bah. I heard it. And I said, what does that word mean? Bah. And he's like, well, it's kind of this word that in English might get translated, wow, but it's more than that. It's this word of worship and praise. Bah. Right? It sounds to me like what would, the sound someone would make if they were punched in the gut, right? Like, bah. Right? And it's this breath, it's this, this something, this, this, this breath that just seems to come out of us. Uh, a breath to the one who gives us breath. It's this word of worship, it's this word of thanks, of joy, of praise, and I love it. I think connecting with God and our joy sometimes sounds like this. Sounds like, bah, right? Or Wow. When we stand at the edge of a sunset or we stand at the edge of a canyon or we stand at the edge of a waterfall and the only thing that can come out of us is like this, this simple you're right, interjection of love, of thanks, a breath, like I said, to the one who gives us breath. You are so good. You are so beautiful. Bah, right? Thank you. Not only are we to give God thanks for his creation, we're to thank God for the details of our salvation. And here I'm referring to verses 10 through 22. Starting in verse 10, the psalmist recounts God's saving works in Israel's deliverance from slavery in Egypt. He's celebrating their salvation. The psalmist begins in verse 10 with the story of the Passover which is the killing of the firstborns in Egypt. 
Israel is spared this judgment because they take refuge in the blood of an innocent sacrificial lamb that dies so they don't have to. And on the basis of this sacrificial death, God literally passes over them. And then they are set free. And once they are delivered from Egypt, they're led into and through the Red Sea. And then they're led into and through a long trek in the wilderness. And all the while, God is protecting them and he's providing for them. He kills powerful kings who seek to destroy them when they're at their weakest. Truly, he saves them from all of their enemies. And in very much the same way, God has done this for us too. In the same sort of order. And it's important for us to recount the details of our own salvation story. A salvation story that begins just like it does for Israel in verse 10 with the death of a firstborn. Uh, In this case, right, the death of God's only begotten son. All right. (laughs) Yeah, right? It is, yeah. Um, That's the sound we heard, right? The sound of God's spirit, I guess, blowing through this space. Um, Our salvation story starts on the same sort of note, right? With the death of her firstborn son, death of Jesus on our behalf, a Passover lamb, who takes the punishment our sins deserve so that, like Israel, we can be delivered from bondage to our slave masters. Sin, death, and the devil. God, through the death of his son, through this sacrificial lamb, liberates us from evil, liberates us from fear, liberates us from sin's punishment, liberates us, I would say, even from a life that's going nowhere. But this is just the beginning of our salvation story. There are many details that follow. God saving us from sin's penalty, but also saving us from sin's power. And he does that often in a wilderness. There in the wilderness, where we're not in Egypt, but we're not yet in the promised land either, which is where we find ourselves, right? No longer in bondage, but not yet in heaven, right? Not yet in the new heavens, new earth. And God meeting us in that place and protecting us and providing for us in that place too. It's important for us to 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 remember and to recount the details of this story, which is our salvation story. If you're a Christian here tonight, you have a salvation story that begins with Jesus' death for you. He died on the cross for the sins of the world, but that includes you. He died for you and for your sins. And while your salvation story begins there, on a cross some 2,000 years ago. It's not just there. It's, it's being played out now in real time. And there are many details of this story for you. And I want you to recount them. I want you to remember them. Because as you do, you will find many things to be grateful for. And many songs of praise. I did this today. It was like, give thanks to him, John, who looked after you. In Bangladesh, his steadfast love endures forever. He brought you to Africa and he opened your eyes there. His steadfast love endures forever. 
When you were aimless, he steered you towards men like Steve Garber. His steadfast love endures forever. John, when you were homeless, he gave you the Taylor family who took you in. His steadfast love endures forever. When you were friendless, he gave you the fellows. His steadfast love endures forever. When you were fatherless, he gave you mentors. His steadfast love endures forever. He softened your heart and filled you with truth and love. His steadfast love endures forever. You were baptized, John, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. His steadfast love endures forever. He guided you to seminary and into his church. His steadfast love endures forever. He introduced you to Megan, John, your wife. His steadfast love endures forever. He connected you to the Barnes family and through them connected you to a calling. His steadfast love endures forever. He brought you to Burlington, Vermont, and he birthed the campus ministry. His steadfast love endures forever. He gave you a beautiful daughter and a second child on the way. His steadfast love endures forever. And he is surrounding you with loved ones constantly, even those who are in this room with you tonight. His steadfast love endures forever. This is just a personal example for me of what it sounds like to remember and to recount like my salvation story. And you have one too. If you're a Christian, you have one too. And I want to encourage you to remember it often. And as you do, as you, as you think on the faces and the names and the events that form the details of this, for you to be filled with thanks and for that thanks to give rise to joy and for that joy to sound like to reinforce love. Because when we look at God as he has shown us in his word, and then when we look at the world that he has made, and then when we survey our salvation stories, our hearts can be full of thanks and praise. But finally, we're invited to not just look at these, we're also invited to look at, at, at God's present and providential care all around us. Right? We look at his word. We see who he is. We look at the world. We look at our story. We look at now at our present moment. And we see there too evidence for God's present and providential care. Look at verses 23 to 25. The psalmist says he's remembered us in our weakness. He saved us from our enemies. He gives food right to every living thing. This is God's care in the present tense. See, it's good for us to look to the past for evidence and remembrances of God's faithful love, but it can be even better for us to see the same in our own day. His faithful love endures forever. It includes today. Because God is not just a creator. He's not just a savior. He is a provider too. And he is intimately involved in the details of our everyday lives. See, in the prayer that Jesus taught us, he says that we ought to pray to our Father in heaven, but we're also to ask for our daily bread, to ask for God's provision today, and to pay attention to the ways in which he answers this prayer every single day. See, us asking for daily bread often, in the West at least, will sound a lot like thank you, because he gives it to us constantly. There's a roof over our head, there's clothes on our backs, there's food in our bellies and friends to enjoy it with. And so many of these things are an opportunity for us to give thanks, for us to to give praise. But I think, sadly, for a lot of us, we don't because we take these things for granted. 
God so often seems far off and aloof because we've stopped asking for daily bread. We just assume that we're going to have it. And when we divorce God's many good gifts from the very good giver, we end up with love lost. We end up joyless and thankless and loveless. But this psalm right here is calling you to attention. And it's waking you up to the reality that God is active in your life. He is really, really good. His steadfast love endures forever. You have woken up in a beautiful world that he has made. And he is at work saving you. And he's at work providing for you every single day. So pay attention. Right? Wake up and give thanks. What does this look like, practically speaking? What does this look like and sound like at a practical level for you and for me? Well, I think as a daily practice, something that really easy we can do, right? Connecting with God and our joy is saying thanks at our mealtimes, right? You might have heard it as giving, saying grace, saying thanks, but this is such an easy and common way for us to, to, to begin to practice this kind of prayer. As we're sitting around food, right, and we can give thanks to the God who's provided it, for us, but even as we enjoy this meal, right, to ask a friend or to have a friend ask us or even just to ask ourselves, what am I thankful for today as we're enjoying something that God has already put before us? Every night at our dinner table or right before bed, I, the mind and family, we're asking each other this question, what are you thankful for and it's not something we just do at Thanksgiving, right? We do this like on a daily basis because we see every day as an opportunity to survey our life and to find something to be grateful for or to rehash a story of God's faithfulness. And as we practice this gratitude, we find ourselves being more and more joyful that our days are not just defined by fear or anger or sadness. There are so often many more sort of blue dots uh, amongst the red, right? So many opportunities for us to play these keys to make that kind of music. Um, I don't think I've ever had an all-awful day, right? I've had bad days, to be sure, but even those worst days, they often, there is always something good to be found in them. And I think as we rehearse this, it makes us a more buoyant people, a more joyful people. If thanks or saying grace is one place to start, I think a great place for us to land is with a daily practice called the prayer of examine. The prayer of examine is a prayer of our consciousness. It's a sort of, uh, of a holy reviewing of our day, typically done you know, as the day is winding down and before we're too tired right, to go to sleep, sort of in this in-between time. The day's winding down, not yet in bed. This is a great time to practice the examine. When you pray the exam and you're looking for two things, you're looking for when in the course of the last day did I feel joy, did I experience joy? And then what was the strongest emotion that I felt today? You're looking for both of those things. Um, in a moment, I'd actually like to walk you through this, but let me just give you a quick rundown and then we'll close and we can actually pray um, as our prayer, kind of an exam. The first thing we do at the day's end is we silence our phone. I would encourage you, just turn it off, or at least 
for this. Put it on like do not disturb. You don't want interruptions. Just turn it off and put it on like don't disturb. And take in a few deep breaths. Let your mind become still and quiet. And as it's becoming still and as it's becoming quiet, pray that God would give you light as you begin to remember this last day that you've just lived. You're starting from the moment you woke up and you take, take yourself to, to, to where you are now. As you're replaying the day and you're asking God to sort of shed a light onto what you've experienced this day, look for these times when you felt joy or love. When you had a sense of God's presence. Is there something that stood out to you for its goodness or beauty or truth? Maybe it's something that you saw or a conversation you had or just something that you noticed on your your walk to class. I mean, it doesn't have to be big. It could be even like a butterfly, like lighting on a flower. I mean, is there something, though, that just awakened you to the fact that I'm I'm in God's beautiful world. There's something, there's goodness and there's beauty and there's truth around me. Were you touched by something, touched by God's presence? Look for those moments. They infiltrate your day. Can you find them? Can you detect them? That's what you're asking God to do first of all. And as you see them, re-experience them, savor them, and give God thanks. That's the first movement. But then secondly, as part of your holy replay or your holy rummaging through your day, look for what the strongest emotion was that you felt that day. And maybe that would be joy. Maybe the strongest thing that you felt that day was joy. But maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was anger. Maybe it was sadness. Maybe it was fear. Maybe it was guilt. Maybe it was shame. And this is where that feelings wheel can really come in handy. Right? It can give you sort of that vocabulary of, oh, what did I feel? As you find the thing that had the strongest effect, the thing that really gripped you, that you felt in your body most powerfully, verbalize this. What occasion did talk to God about what it felt like and look for him. Invite him into that space, into that emotional space, and connect with him there. This is now what we were, we're doing, what we've been saying all semester. Like, if, you're, if your strongest affect or emotion was fear, what are you afraid of? And listen, look for and listen for God to show up as a shepherd. If you were feeling anger, if that was the strongest affect, what was it about? What are you angry for? And look and listen for God to show up as someone who gets angry at injustice too, but also might be counseling you. Do you do well to be this angry? Right? What would self-control look like and sound like? How can I lead you into peace and reconciliation? Restorative justice and not just destruction. Look for him in that moment. Sadness. Right? What have you lost? Talk to God about it. How does he show up maybe wiping away tears and also breathing in new life and new hope? Guilt and shame. What does it look like to be cleansed, to be forgiven? Or joy, to just sit with and be with like the lover of your soul. You're looking for these, like, these little nuggets of joy, but you're also looking for the strongest affect. And what I'm talking about doesn't take too long. I mean, we're talking maybe 10 minutes. You have 10 minutes. You give 10 minutes gladly to Netflix, but this is something for you to actually begin to experience deep connection with God, a God who's present, a God who's active in your life. And as you finish this prayer of examine, 
You thank God for this moment of intimacy with him, for this enjoying time with your friend, this God who made you, who loves you, who died to save you, who's with you every single day. This is where the rubber really meets the road. This is a, 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 it's a prayer like this that we get to do every single day. I invite you to do this with me every single day for you to begin to connect with God and to put down these roots, right? Having this head in life with God that will sustain you in and out of season. Let's end there. Let's, let's even, let's, let's pray. And if, if you will indulge me, why don't we pray along sort of this pattern um, of the examine before we get ready to sing one last song. As we wrap up our time here tonight, we want to enter into just a moment of silence where we can just take some deep breaths and just be mindful of God's presence here with us. Pray to our Father, would you you by your Spirit shine a light on our day to help us to see what we need to see and to feel what we need to feel, to be awake to your presence, to be awake to ourselves. Or as we start at the beginning of the day, would you show us these joyful, life-full moments that we were meant to see? And as we encounter them, would we savor them and give you thanks? Let's do that now. Let's take a moment to do that now. I don't mean to rush you, but as you go through this sort of holy rummaging through your day, pay attention to what the strongest emotion that you felt today has been. And to sit with God in it. What is that about? What are you feeling? And to look and to listen for what God might be trying to say to you, to communicate to you in the midst of that very powerful and bodily emotion, whatever it was.
as we come to the end of this exam and we thank God we thank you Father for walking through us this through this day with us and walking through this prayer with us too we thank you for your friendship and your love in Jesus name Amen